What's up, everybody? This is Hall of Fame wide receiver Terrell Owens here, a.k.a. T.O. Uh, get your popcorn ready because you're now listening to another football podcast. Uh, do a favor. Leave my guy Connor a five-star rating after the show. Listen to it. Uh, give him some feedback. And also, if you want to listen to my podcast as well, uh, check it out. Subscribe, share. Uh, you know, you don't need to leave a five-star rating. You know, uh, we're five-star. I'm five-star uh, all the time. Uh, my podcast is called Get Your Popcorn Ready with T.O. and Hatch. Uh, again, check out both of those podcasts. And hey, check it out. Listen and subscribe. All right, joining me now is my good friend from NJ.com, Matt Lombardo. Matt, thanks for returning to the show. What a crazy, crazy draft weekend we just had. Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. Absolutely. You look around the league, and there were a couple teams that really, really helped themselves. And I look at three teams in the NFC East who might have had the strongest drafts of anybody. So a lot of teams got better. There were certainly some questionable decisions, as they were every year. But it seems like general managers, maybe this year more than ever, did a really nice job of matching need to value. And I don't know that anybody did that better this year than the New York Giants. Right, and I agree with you because I feel like this is the draft when it's Obviously, the pandemic's going on. We're all unsure of everything. This is the draft where teams really focused on what they needed rather than uh, taking the projection or taking the potential in a player because you didn't really have that experience with these guys this year. So going on to your point about the Giants, like we've known for years, Dave Gettleman does not take offensive linemen in the first, let alone the top five. He walks out of this draft with three offensive linemen. You could you you were the one who messaged me and pointed this out to me that you could tell Joe Judge's fingerprints are all over this draft, and I agree with you completely. It it's starting to look like the Giants have a direction. Oh, no doubt. And Connor, I think my biggest takeaway beyond the Andrew Thomas pick, which I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, at length during this conversation, my biggest takeaway was. This was Joe Judge taking the time leading up to the combine and then again leading up to the draft, looking at the Giants roster, looking at the glaring deficiencies at linebacker. They had one of the least talented linebackers in the league the last couple of years. At secondary, a completely unproven commodity filled with lottery tickets, such as a former undrafted free agent like Grant Haley, a third-round supplemental pick like Sam Beal, and then Corey Ballantyne chosen in the sixth round last year. Neither of those guys really acquitting themselves all that well at all. They come back and they take three defensive backs in this class with Xavier McKinney falling in their laps with the 36th pick in the draft in round two. Certainly a top 20 and really a first-round talent, uh, in my opinion, one of the top two safeties in this class. So from top to bottom, it seemed as though the Giants didn't just draft for need, but they drafted for value and adding quality depth throughout the roster on a roster that certainly had a lot of holes in its starting lineup. I think they came away with at least three starting caliber players from day one and some quality depth players to fill out the bottom of the roster as well. Right. McKinney was the number one safety, in my opinion, in the rankings-wise. I know a lot of people share the same as well. Getting him at 36 was a steal. And that's the issue I had with passing on Simmons. And like I told you before, they have a defensive coordinator like Patrick Graham. They had the New England pedigree there where they can really use these hybrid players to their full advantage. So I wanted them to get a defensive playmaker for once because they need that on the defensive side. But to get Andrew Thomas, the most polished 
tackle in the left tackle, pure left tackle in this draft class. I know he'll play right at first with the Giants with Soldier there. Obviously, you're going to get out of that contract. I wouldn't be so sure about that, Connor. I, I know that there's a lot of talk about Joe Judge cross-training Andrew Thomas at both the left tackle and right tackle. But when you take an offensive tackle fourth overall to put him on an offensive line as porous both in pass protection and in terms of opening up running lanes as the Giants have had the last couple of years, uh, to me, it's hard to envision Andrew Thomas not walking into the building day one as the starting left tackle and then the Giants moving Nate Solder over to the right side. And uh, to run back and get you know, Matt Kirk, the offensive tackle out of UConn in round three, there's just another value play that has Joe Judge's fingerprints all over it because you've effectively started the clock on Nate Solder. That if he plays as poorly at right tackle as he did at left tackle, giving up something like 56 pressures last year or close to double-digit sacks, um, you have a, a potential insurance policy if Pert develops for 2021 and beyond. And certainly if he doesn't, if Pert just proves to be a swing tackle, then you can go out and you can draft an offensive tackle in round one again next year and have two young bookends for up to a decade. But I know the Giants have talked about putting Thomas at the right side, but I certainly wouldn't discount um, the likelihood that he begins his career as the Giants starting left tackle week one. For Daniel Jones' sake, I hope you're right. Because no, let's just be honest, Nate Holder's been awful. That's been a free agent bust for the Giants so far. Andrew Thomas, I thought, was the cleanest left tackle prospect in the class, so I would go that route personally as well. Uh, and then, obviously, you hit on Per. I thought that was a great pick. Obviously, you don't want to start him from day one, but he does have right tackle starting potential. You get him to sit for a year. He comes into the perfect situation there. And you really see that the Giants perhaps locked up their bookends for years to come, and they're going to be on rookie salaries. So, Obviously, Hernandez is a nice prospect. They left guard. Uh, I know they got Shane Lemieux, who I'm assuming they want at right guard. Am I correct? Well, Kevin Zeitler is still there at right guard, and, and Zeitler is two years removed from being an all-pro with the Browns. So I think the Giants are really hoping that Lemieux can, excuse me, that Zeitler can bounce back and have that kind of season in 2020. Uh, but Lemieux is a guy that I think is really interesting. He's played both guard positions, and Will Hernandez was really inconsistent a year ago, and I think that he kind of took a step backwards as the year went along. So, A, Connor, it wouldn't surprise me if Lemieux ultimately challenges, pushes, and could even replace Will Hernandez. Hernandez at left guard, uh, but don't rule out the fact that he's been working with Charles Bentley on the side in terms of developing as a center. Took a lot of practice mm -hmm. reps at center in Oregon, uh, certainly with an offensive line-minded head coach up there. So I wouldn't discount Lemieux as a, a center option, if not to replace Spencer Pulley this year, but someone they can develop behind Pulley and has the flexibility to play either guard position if Hernandez or Zeitler go down or if Hernandez continues to struggle. Because remember, Dave Gettleman might have drafted Will Hernandez, but this coaching staff and this head coach certainly did not. I, I mean, I was high on Will Hernandez, so maybe that's like my personal bias in there because I do think eventually you, you're talking about a guy who can develop and be a left guard, and you're hoping the new coaching staff be able to bring that out of him. But you're right. It's not like they drafted him. They're not sold to him. And I like that for Shane Lemieux, uh, maybe possibly moving over to center because I would, I would say now that's their weakest point on the offensive line is center. I don't know how you feel about Pulley, but... I don't think that's the answer there. They're going, especially when you have such a young quarterback, you need that center that he can trust. Uh, so working with Charles Bentley, I like that because I remember with Charles Bentley with the Saints and the Browns, really good center. So just injuries ruin his career. But let's move to the defense. Obviously, we talked about McKinney. I like that pairing with Peppers. I 
Darnell Holmes was the steal to me in the fourth round, not named Kayvon Wallace, because I think he could really be a great nickel corner, and now he just threw him into a situation where he can become that nickel corner for the Giants. That's a good value to get a nickel corner too in the fourth round. That's usually where most of those guys really go. You have Bradbury coming in, who's going to be, I would assume, strictly pressed now, given the New England heritage on that coaching staff, where he shines in press coverage as is. DeAndre Baker, one year removed from being a first-round pick, obviously going to improve in a new system. I think he will. I actually like Patrick Graham as a defensive coordinator. So, what a what a huge change for that secondary man. Oh, no doubt about it. And again, we talked about some of the young guys already on the roster. You look at, you know, Haley, Ballantyne, and Beal. These aren't pedigree players. They're not pedigree prospects in terms of how they entered the NFL, and all of them were inconsistent. And I'd even throw last year's fourth-round pick, Julian Love, into that mix, who the Giants initially wanted to have win the nickel cornerback job. But it was just obvious during rookie minicamp that, uh, you know, Love just didn't have the speed to match up with wide receivers in the slot, especially not outside, so they quickly moved into safety. I honestly think that there's a chance that Love might be the only of those four who are on this roster week one. Uh, the Danae Holmes pick, I think he's an aggressive playmaker with really good ball skills, seems to have a, a really good head on his shoulders, good instincts, and uh, I'm with you. I think that when you look at the secondary walking into this year, I think it's Peppers and McKinney at safety with Bradbury and Baker on the outside of Darnay Holmes in the nickel. Um, seems he has the physique to play there, even if he's a little bit undersized, but he makes up for that with his competitiveness and his ball skills. Yeah, I obviously... People are going to think down on the Giants no matter what because of what they've been over the last couple of years. But hiring Joe Judge seems like they finally gave themselves some sort of direction. It's hard not to like, from an outside perspective looking in, what the vision seems to be with the Giants. And at least they're committing to Daniel Jones even more now and building around him. It's it's hard not to like it, to be honest. I think, obviously, I wouldn't expect them to compete this year. But I think this draft was huge to add fundamental pieces to build around your young franchise quarterback. And... It was really a crucial draft that they needed to knock out of the park. I think they did it. I think they did it. I On paper, I think they did it. I agree. And you look at the first two draft classes in Dave Gettleman's tenure, you can look at coming away with Saquon Barkley at number two overall, like add a piece in um, Will Hernandez and, and Lorenzo Carter, who were two starters for you two years ago. And obviously the three first-round picks last year with Daniel Jones and Dexter Lawrence, DeAndre Baker. And they got a nice... You know, playmaker as a pass rusher to develop in you know, O'Shane Zyman as last year in round three. But but I look top to bottom at the depth of this class, filling out the roster with quality playmakers. And I honestly think this might be, from top to bottom, round one through seven, the deepest and strongest draft class that Dave Gettleman has had. Um, but, I, but I do believe that Joe Judge's influence on the class was substantial, and I think that he had as much input on this class as anybody, so it's not really a surprise to see them take this step forward. Now, listen, I don't know how many more wins this class will give them, but I th- I certainly believe that Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, along with, if you look at Drew Locke with the De- Denver Broncos, they were three of the biggest winners league wide as far as individual players go in this entire draft. Locke getting the weapons that he did um, with Judy and with Hamler, and then with the work of the Giants did to fortify the offensive line and add some talent to the defense what they did to make life easier on Jones and Barkley I think that those three players were the biggest winners across the league and I mean I'm not I have no problem with them drafting four linebackers given the fact that linebacker play is probably the worst in New York of any franchise the last couple years so I have no problem with that at all I actually like TJ Brunson a lot I 
I watched a ton of South Carolina because I was really in on Brian Edwards. And when you look at the other side of uh, their defense, TJ Brunson made a lot of good plays, I thought. And getting him in round seven is is crazy. I think that's one of the guys that you could think that you wouldn't expect to pop out and shows himself there in training camp. And then they got Blake Martinez, too, as well. So you have to like that. Yeah, I think that when you look at the two Big Ten linebackers that came along, came out of this um, draft with with Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown, um, Coughlin was originally one of the, the Minnesota's uh, best pass rushers, and then teams started to scheme against him a little bit. He had to play a little more in coverage and showed that he could do that. And Cam Brown is long, athletic, he plays at a high tempo. I don't think that he was the tackling machine that a lot of people projected him to be when he got to Penn State, but he can do a little bit of everything. Rush the passer, drop in coverage, he's going to be hard to throw over with those 36-inch arms, but uh, I think that when you look at the Giants' linebacking court, you bring in Blake Martinez, you re-sign David Mayo, Ryan Connolly coming off the torn ACL, you throw Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown, and even um, Tay Crowder, Mr. Irrelevant out of Georgia, if he can make the team even as a special teams player, and Brunson certainly is one of those potential leadership voices down the line, you, you might have filled out your depth chart. Um, with upgrades across the board from guys like Alec Ogletree and some of the other players, you know, Kareem Martin, who were released earlier this offseason. So if you want to identify a position group for the Giants that got um, substantially better, if not the most improved, because the offensive line is the most improved group on the entire roster, but the team that really added the best depth, the position that added the best depth, I think it's a linebacker from top to bottom. Now moving on. Obviously, we talked about what we think about the Giants this year. We're not, I, I'm not going to say that there are expectations, especially since given this pandemic, nobody really knows how much of an impact these rookies are going to make because of what the information they're going to require to need and the practice and the reps. It's, it's just a tough situation this year for this rookie class for all around the league. So it's hard to really project the Giants to be competitive, but with how the drafts played out, who do you think in the NFC East really made – Best steps into, I mean, obviously the Cowboys had the killer draft. We all know that. All the listeners know that as well. The Eagles got the speed they needed. I mean, they had some questionable picks, but they got the speed they needed, I guess. Who would you think really put them best foot forward in the NFC East, and who do you think is going to win it now? I, I mean, it's a little early. We don't know what's going to happen, obviously, but hypothetically speaking, what do you think? What do you look at the NFC East now, and who's in control of it? Hello, my fellow sports fanatics. If you are like me and love talking about sports, I have the perfect app for you. It's called U-Stadium, a social media app dedicated to sports, which allows you to talk about each league with fellow fans, get instant breaking news notifications straight to your phone, and debate the sports we all love. Download the app with either Apple App Store or Google Play Store and join discussions about your favorite team or the rest of the leagues. U-Stadium has contests and point systems to win real prizes like an NFL jersey of your choice. You can find U-Stadium on Twitter and Instagram at U-Stadium, U-S-T-A-D-I-U-M, for more information. Log on to U-Stadium today and join me as we talk about sports. (laughs) 
Well, I think that it's still a two-horse race, Connor. I think it comes down to the Eagles and Cowboys. I love what the Cowboys did getting CeeDee Lamb. And, you know, you can't ever have enough weapons around a young quarterback. And, you know, Dak Prescott gets criticized a lot in the Philadelphia market and a little bit too much nationally. But he's a guy that I think if you continue to surround him with playmakers, you know, have Ezekiel Elliott, Cooper, and CeeDee Lamb. That's a lot of speed for him. And they bulked up the offensive line, um, getting another center out of Nebraska after all the success they had over the years with Zach Martin. So I think they've kind of extended their window and I look at the Eagles and I know that they took a lot of heat for taking Jalen Hurts in round two and certainly I can understand fans being upset with the value Um, but this is a team that needed a young bona fide backup quarterback behind Carson Wentz because the durability concerns are very real and I think that the Eagles for as much as fans might not want to accept this um, the window for the Eagles to win the NFC East and continue making runs towards the Super Bowl is, is fairly fairly small at this point when you look at what the Cowboys are doing when you look at you know the teams at the top of the conference like the 49ers they're not going anywhere the Packers aren't going anywhere and certainly if Jordan Love develops and he can slide into becoming the eventual successor for Aaron Rodgers I think they have a pretty lengthy window but the Eagles have an aging offensive line they have some holes at linebacker I think their secondary is still a little bit vulnerable even after going out and getting Darius Slay so they needed to get Jalen Hurts, that type of a quarterback behind Wentz, because if Wentz gets hurt again and and Hurts plays well, I think the clock starts on the Carson Wentz era in Philadelphia. But I'll go a step further than that. For as much as everybody criticized the pick of Jalen Rager, adding a little bit of speed and certainly taking him over, Justin Jefferson might be a, a really questionable decision for Howie Roseman. I thought they rounded back on Saturday and did a really nice job trading for Marquise Goodwin to add another speedy receiver on the outside. I like the safety they got out of Clemson. And I think that they filled some holes on day three that certainly they needed to address. And I think that when you look at the NFC East, I think the two best drafts uh, were the Cowboys and the Giants, but the Eagles aren't that far behind them. And I think that if you want to talk about who is in a position to make a run for the postseason and win that division, I still think the gap is fairly sizable between the Eagles and the Cowboys, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Cowboys leapfrogged them after this draft. Right, and I mean, I, your, your point exactly. There, It's not like their window is that large anymore, especially given the facts you're saying. That FC got better, too. The 49ers are here to stay. The Cardinals got extremely better. I I think the Seahawks are still contenders, no matter what anybody says. I thought they actually had a decent offseason more than people want to... Because there's no really big names they added there, but I think they had a normal Seahawks-type offseason to continue to compete. I, I think you're right. I think it's just that's why i think people are more frustrated with the pick than i do think they realize that i think they realize that their window is but here's small the thing, Connor. If, if if the eagles are chugging along this year and they're eight and three mm-hmm. and carson wentz tears his acl without jalen hurts on the roster what happens in the postseason what happens in the division race down the stretch do they do they you know win that division what happens if Wentz gets hurt again next year and you have Hurts on the roster behind him. What if you don't? I I just look at, I I think that, you know, Howie Roseman deserves to be criticized a little bit potentially for value, but in terms of the need, they absolutely needed to come out of this draft with a, a, bona fide backup quarterback who can step in at a moment's notice and keep them afloat. And I think Hurts has the ability to do that. And I think that Wentz's injury history factored in significantly into that decision, even if they won't admit it publicly. Right, I liked Hurts a lot coming out. It, the problem I have, I don't know if he can do that this year, though, especially given the pandemic. If, even if we, I would even say that without the pandemic, now that this thing's an issue, I don't. I would not trust him in year one picking up a West Coast offense and running that with the way that he plays. But, I mean, 
you're right. I do. I understand the logistics of they needed a backup quarterback long term. You get the rookie salary on a four year deal. They picked the best backup quarterback that they thought in the draft. Basically, is what they did. So I I get it from that standpoint. It, it the only reason why he deserves to get criticized and you hit it yourself is because of the value where he picked it. Given the fact that this team, the Eagles have such bad wide receiver production, man. And I I understand people are looking at him where to get Rieger. I was higher on Rieger than a lot of people. Well, but, remember they came back and got Marcus Goodwin too. So that's where I think that Roseman made up for some of the value that he might have surrendered taking Hurts in the second round over another receiver by trading for Goodwin. So you can come out of this draft with Goodwin and Rieger um, as two pretty speedy weapons that I think really helped this offense in, in a way that perhaps you can overlook um, taking a quarterback in round two. Right, uh, yeah, because he, he also got the safety too, Kayvon Wallace, who I thought should have been a second round pick. So it it definitely eases what the what he did for sure. I just I look at that team. I I look at Alshon Jeffrey. He's on his way out for sure. It's only a matter of when. JJ Arcega Whiteside. I know you you never want to give up after rookies after one year, but I personally feel like I've never seen a wide receiver, even a rookie, come in and be that bad as he was and work out. So I know a lot. Of the jury's still out on him, and I'll let that. They obviously have faith in him enough to not take a guy like Denzel Mims on the board who could have been that skill set that they needed a wide receiver rather than going with the quarterback. So they obviously have some faith in him. So, I mean... Totally agree. And and I look at Mims, I think that he's a day-one starter and and one of the better picks in this draft from a value standpoint going to the Jets where now he can be one of Sam Darnold's uh, most prolific weapons. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I, I, I look at their wide receiver corps. Perryman's good speed, vertical speed. He really turned it on with Bruce Arians last year, the last four games. And then Jameson Crown is a reliable slot that Sam Darnold targeted the most last year when he was healthy. You can't. I like it. I like the direction that they're going in. I like that they shirt up a little bit of their offensive line. I don't think every free agent signing they made is going to pan out, but I like Mekhi Becton. I like Connor McGovern. I don't want to get too much into the Jets, but you understand where I'm going with that. I thought they had a good draft. Um, yeah, I mean... Look, the Eagles are just a bunch of what-ifs, and I, I agree with you. This team, you know from covering them in your days, covering them how much they value the backup quarterback position. So it does it shouldn't totally shock people as much as it does because they really do value that spot the most. And they should. I agree with you, especially if Carson wants his durability issues. A lot of people want to argue it's only eight games over 64 starts, but it's always the stretch where you think you need him the most that he doesn't show up. So I get it. I I like Hurts. I just question him. Well, so let's not let's not forget, let's not forget Connor that they won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, the quarterback, for the final um, three weeks and through the postseason. So they know firsthand just how vitally important the backup quarterback is. And when you have a quarterback like Wentz who's injured as often as he is, they needed an insurance policy there. And, and again, could they have got away, gotten away with taking Jake Fromm on day three? Okay, maybe Jacob Eason out of Washington. You probably have to trade up to get him based off where he went. But uh, I think that if they believed that Jalen Hurts has the potential to be a franchise quarterback, then by all means, given Wentz's durability concerns, I think it was the right move to take. Yeah, it's hard to argue those points. The Cowboys, though, with Mike McCarthy, you, yeah. I, I, I proposed this theory on the last episode, and I actually think it's true no matter what anybody says. You hire Mike McCarthy as your head coach, who we all know is a more passing-oriented type coach. You load up a wide receiver now. You've signed Amari Cooper long-term. 
understand you can get out of that contract after the after 2021, but I'd be given the success they have with Cooper and how productive they are. I don't envision that happening. Michael Gallup is a really good wide receiver, as you know. Then they go ahead and get CeeDee Lamb fall in their last at 17. They're looking like they're becoming more of a passing offense. They're loading up around Dak. They're, I would assume that Dak plays on the franchise tag this year, and they see what they have in him as a passer since they're loading so much on offense. But once they pay Dak, I think Ezekiel Elliott is going to be looking at the, the big contract for running backs and get the boot like the Todd Gurley just did. The, that team is loading up on pass-catching options. They had a pass-catching happy head coach. I understand Kellen Moore is still the offensive coordinator, but to me, he's just calling the plays that Mike McCarthy scripts. I mean, you look, I look at I look at Dallas, I think there's kind of a changing in the guard, and they just they, they couldn't help themselves because of CeeDee Lamb and the value at 17. And I don't blame them, especially since you want to see what you have in your quarterback before you give him a huge deal. As a football yeah, I think that's fan, just it right there. I think I think it sets them up to make the most prudent and informed evaluation of Dak Prescott that they can make. Because now you have Amari Cooper, you have Michael Gallup, you have C.D. Lamb, you fortified the offensive line, you have Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield, and let's face it, Blake Jarwin as a tight end is a guy that can make a big catch or two every week. So there really are no excuses at this point on offense for Dak Prescott. So if the Cowboys are truly looking to see whether or not Prescott is worth committing to, then yes, I think that all of these moves set him up to put his best foot forward. And if it doesn't work out, they have the kind of draft capital in the future to move up and get a quarterback on a rookie contract to drop into that offense that as the Giants should have done after taking Saquon Barkley with Odell Beckham Jr. on the roster, finding a rookie quarterback and building around those two weapons, um, the Cowboys have a chance to do exactly that. So I I think what Dallas did this past weekend set themselves up um, for a three to five year window where um, it comes down to them or the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC East. I agree. I I wouldn't sleep on the Giants, though. I, I really, I don't know. Joe Judge gives me some vibes. And this draft, if they keep hitting on drafts like this, because I, I, I agree with you. There's yeah, at I least. Think so. I, think the, I think the Giants are one really solid NFL draft and one splash filled free agency offseason away. Um, from being the type of team that can really make some noise in the NFC East, potentially if Daniel Jones develops. But that's still a little bit of an if. That's still a little bit of an unknown, given his propensity for turning the football over a year ago. Now, again, he has a better offensive line. I don't know that it's a complete offensive line at this point because Nate Solder still is such a question mark at right tackle or left tackle. Um, But certainly they got better there, and I still think that they need to do a little bit more Uh, in terms of adding game-changing talent on defense. But if they can do those things and if Jones develops, absolutely. I think that in the year 2021 or 2022, uh, the Giants could really be a team to contend with. I agree. I I certainly agree. I mean, the Redskins, look, they. I I like Ron Rivera hiring for them. They needed a really serious coach. I, I think Jay Gruden was too lackadaisical for that type of organization that has no structure whatsoever, as we know, with Daniel Snyder as the owner. They load up on defense. Chase Young on that defensive line with Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, Darian Payne, Ryan Kerrigan. That's a serious defensive line right there. It all hinders on Dwayne Haskins and how he develops and pans out. And to be quite frank, I'm not that high on Dwayne Haskins. And... His leash is going to be shorter because, like we mentioned with the Giants, this isn't the coaching staff that picked him. 
This is the owner that picked him, though. But this isn't the coaching staff that picked him. So if Ron Rivera and his pull, because we understand that Daniel Snyder made it a point to go out and hire Ron Rivera. It was that was his first guy. That was the only guy they really locked in on. If he if he says like we got to pull the plug on Dwayne Haskins, the owner's gonna have to agree with his head coach. And Kyle Allen's not that answer for me either. That's a good backup to have maybe, but not he's not your starter. So it really all hints on what Haskins does in year two. No, I totally agree. And I think that when you look around the league and you look at the teams that have taken quarterbacks over the last two years, and I'll even go in the last three years, that depending on what happens this year, there are six or seven teams that won't be in the market for quarterbacks next year. You look at the Arizona Cardinals, you look at Cincinnati, you look at Miami, um, you look at the Giants, potentially, depending on what happens with Jones. The Eagles certainly aren't taking the quarterback. Um, you look at some of the other teams, though, the Jets, this is a make-or-break year for Sam Darnold. I think it's a make-or-break year for Drew Locke, even though it's his first year as a starter. They certainly put all the weapons around him for him to succeed this year right away in an offense that's quarterback-friendly under Pat Shermer, but you look at a team like Washington who, yes, they took Dwayne Haskins last draft, but th- their roster is still far enough away from competing that they could potentially have landed a generational pass rusher this year and be in a position to be one of the teams poised to make a run at Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields coming out in next year's draft to get that franchise quarterback. So I think the quarterback market is a lot thinner this year. I think the teams like the Steelers, uh, even though I don't, I think that they're in a position from a talent standpoint that they could still make some noise in the NFC North, um, but they're going to need a quarterback in the near future. But the Redskins are certainly a team to watch in the quarterback market, if not being bad enough to be picking in the top two, to be able to trade up to try and make a run at Lawrence or Fields. I agree with you because I just don't think Haskins is it. If I was the Redskins too... That roster is good enough. I might consider camp, especially with Ron there. But obviously they won't since they traded for Kyle Allen. That pretty much closed the door on that. But I mean, I if that I would definitely consider camp. It's just that offensive line is now such a wild card. We're trading Trent Williams away, which they had to do, like we know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I agree with you though. If if it doesn't work out with Haskins, they're going to be an opportunity to go ahead and attack the quarterback market next year and. I wouldn't. I mean, it, the roster's good to me. The defensive line—they have most of those guys are on rookie contracts still. I mean, when it comes time to pay everybody, it's going to be tough. But that window that they have with those guys, because I think—I mean, you would agree, right? Chase Young is one of the best defensive end prospects to ever come into the draft lately. Uh, totally agree. Jonathan Allen's one of the great defensive tackle prospects. He only fell on their laps because of arthritis issues that teams are worried about. Montez Sweat, we all like too, coming out last year. It's a serious pass rush there in Washington, and if Ryan Kerrigan gives them anything else to add to that, you would you would think with that type of defense and the type of head coach you hired, you would want to win now. I, I don't know. I, from what I saw from Haskins last year, I just it's tough to evaluate because, again, you did fire your head coach halfway through the season and had a whole shifting of the guard with Bill Callahan, so it's hard to really evaluate him at this point, but I, I don't know. I just didn't really see much to hang my hat on to think this guy could be a franchise quarterback. I saw more from Daniel Jones, I would think, than I did from Dwayne Haskins. I agree. I'd agree, I'd agree, I'd agree with that. And I think that Jones is further along in his development. And when you look at Jason Garrett being on staff and, uh, you know, Shablinski coming in from New England who had worked with Garoppolo and Brady, I think that he's better positioned to take that leap forward. But he has to do it. And I think that if you're bringing in a new head coach and Joe Judge, you know, Jones has to show that he can be a franchise guy 
or the Giants are one of those teams where the rest of the roster around him, I don't know how competitive they're going to be this year. They'll certainly be a better football team and a smarter football team. But if Daniel Jones doesn't play like a top 10 to 15 quarterback in this league, they're another team to watch. They get to the top of the board because Daniel Jones didn't improve. Look out. If Daniel Jones doesn't improve next year, it takes a colossal leap back. I agree with you. I think the the leash on younger quarterbacks coming in is 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 really going to be shorter than it ever has been before, especially considering where you hit the 2021 class being so nice with quarterback prospects already. Because usually half we only hear like one name or maybe two at the most to be the top headliners of the quarterback class. We're hearing like three or four already, and we're already a year out from that even happening. So I agree with you on that. Especially because, I mean, if if Daniel Jones doesn't come out and play well, Dave Gelbin's fired. So now Joe Judge gets to bring in his okay. own guy. So, yeah, I could definitely, I agree with you. I agree with you these philosophies about these guys not having to be sold on these quarterbacks this long because of those reasons. Especially since... And the you, same goes for Sam Darnold. The same goes for Sam Darnold. That if the Jets aren't a borderline playoff team or a team that, you know, makes a push to win the, the AFC East, um, with what they've done this offseason around him, with what they did bring in Mekhi Becton, with what they've done uh, fortifying some of their holes on defense, I think that the Jets could be a team looking to take quarterback if they're picking in the top five again. Well, I would agree with you too because, uh, I mean, that Joe AFC, Douglas didn't draft him. Yeah, Joe Douglas didn't draft him. And Adam Gase is definitely out the door then if that happens. And the AFC East is as wide open as it ever has been in decades. So, yeah, I mean, if, they, if he doesn't take a step forward next year, he's gone too. Matt Lombardo, guys, thanks for coming on, talking NFL with us, my man. I really appreciate it. I'll have you on, usually, as you know, because we are good friends. You got it, Connor. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. And please uh, stay safe. And everybody listening out there, stay well. What's up, beautiful people? I don't have a name. I don't have a name at this point in my life. But I do want to thank you. I want to thank you and tell you I love you. All of you guys for tuning in to Connor's show. Just another football podcast. Do me a small favor. Do it for me, please. Leave those five-star reviews and subscribe to my dog, Connor Miles. All right?